This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett, CSW. And And we are not. Neither am I. Hey, I'm just here. Again, we've got uh, Julia, Bob, Lisa, who is going to be largely silent, if so she claims, and of course, Gary returning. Uh, today's state of affairs is Louisiana, and we are doing the Landry Vineyards Redneck Red Muscadine Wine Semi-Sweet. I'll read you the back of the label here. Muscadine vines grow wild in the hills of West Monroe and much of the Southeast. A not-so-serious wine and primarily made sweet we chose to make a humorous slant as we produce and label our muscadine wines. For many country folk, muscadines are re- reminiscent of the past. It reminds many of pastimes spent in the country, shaking vines and collecting the wild grapes in the woods with friends and family. Now, having grown up in deep south Louisiana and having no exposure to this unique grape, we had little appreciation for the flavor and made a promise never to make the wild vintage. When we relocated to north Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina, Many came to the winery making the request known. You got any of that muscadine wine? So here it is. Redneck red muscadine wine. It's not so bad after all. Agreed. I love the label, by the way. It's got a, a very... Stereotypical? S- stereotypical redneck with a mullet and a mustache and handlebars going down. Holding a mason glass with a handle full of wine. Uh, I wanted to get a picture of this with a... Uh, uh, Mason jar. Mason jar, but it probably will not happen. Although this, you could do it tomorrow. Or well, here's the thing. Time. Also, uh, if whatever we don't finish can go home with me for photography. Yeah. So that's okay. Um, but anyway, uh, the nearest guess that we have for the varietal in this wine is a muscadine varietal called No. We're currently continuing the muscadine theme after North Carolina. This is possibly. A varietal known as Noble, um, a productive muscadine variety, widely grown in North Carolina for juice and wine, although uh, I've had Noble that came from Florida in the past, so it's a red varietal, so this could be it. Apparently it's a Thomas and Hart, a Words. Words, right? Use your words. I'm trying. Thomas by Tar Heel Hybrid, namely, what's the genus name now? Muscadinia. Muscadinia rotifunda with some Vitis labrusca and Vitis vinifera, selected at the North Carolina Agricultural Experiment Station and released in 1971. Um, I've been to that ag experiment station. How is it? Kind of I don't remember much about it, but Christmas. were you drunk? Yes. I was a grad student. Like those lime So lime yes. <laughs> so yes, and slash or I didn't I really care all that much. Or you were asleep. Yeah. Because yeah. it was a long drive. Sugared cranberries without the lime. Mm. There you go. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, they're over here talking about what it tastes like and what's there with it. So let's talk about that, and then I'll go back to the book. Sugared cranberries, but not the good kind. Not the good kind. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a if wild bitterness them... at the end. I mean, you get you get. I like the bitterness at the end. Yeah, agreed. But it's not it's, tannins. It's something else. It's reminiscent of like Campari or Aperol. Mm. There you go. There you. This go. would be a great wine for cocktails, then too. Absolutely. Holy yes. shit! This was some tonic. 
Yeah, would be another one. But the difference is that I like this one more than the last one we suggested to do with tonic. Very true. Uh I don't know what that was, but or even with seltzer water, like just as a spritzer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Make it make a super good wine spritzer. Put it. Let's put it in a a mason jar and do that because holy shit, that sounds amazing. We'll give that a shot later. Um. I also get this sort of like tea character, like iced tea. Yeah. And Indian spices. And yeah, so many spices. Julia gave a list of the spices earlier. Let's see how many. Let's see, I can remember. Um, Cinnamon, a little bit of anise, some definitely some nutmeg. Um, I don't think there was much more than that, but it's it's got a good mulled wine characteristic, but not tricky and hot like mulled wine. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's kind of got a like garam masala. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I really want to pair this with fried alligator now. <laughs> well, let's just go out to Safeway and get some. Oh, wait, we're in Sun Sites, Arizona right now. Good yeah. luck. Hey, we do have a butcher. I doubt we have any alligator, though. No, we'd have to go into a time machine about 80 million years for that. Go to Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> <laughs> or Florida. Anyway. Or Florida. Or yeah. Florida. Whichever's closest. Uh, so the, the last red muscadine I had was a noble from Florida that... It seems like everyone else that tasted it only vaguely remembers. But yeah, fried alligator could be interesting. And we were also talking about maybe a, a chicken panna cotta with this? Um, or chicken, chicken alfredo. alfredo. Chicken alfredo, that's right. Yeah. And, um, Any sort of panna cotta. Not panna cotta or, or um, creme, brulee. creme brulee, that's the one. Yeah. I, I like this. I mean, it's not my favorite wine that we've had on this podcast, but it's fun, interesting. It's also so, it tastes so much drier than our last muscadine mm-hmm. that we experienced. Very much so. Uh, Gary, what did you, you were kind of talking about that and guessing percentages. You want to go into that a little bit? Well, I don't really want to say it on the record, but I will. Um, <laughs> on the off chance that anyone who knows these wines well is listening, I would feel like the Hinnant Scuppernog was probably around the 10% residual sugar range. But this one tastes like it's more in the, like, one and a half to two percent. Yeah, it's not super sweet at all. It's, it's almost dry. Again, this would be a, a good porch powder for a hot climate. Mm-hmm. Even though it's red, it's light. Mm-hmm. It's a very light red. And again, no real tannins or anything. Are, are there tannins in muscadine skins? I don't really know. I didn't appreciate muscadines as much as I do now when I was there. Because that's interesting because clearly, I mean, unless the, I mean, maybe the juice of muscad is the juice of muscadines red? If they're a red muscadine varietal? Sometimes they've got a little bit of pigment, but it's not anything crazy. Like, a couple of vinifera varieties have red juice, but by and large they're clear, and muscadines are somewhere in the middle, but erring towards the clear side. So this definitely would have seen some skin contact then, and yet there's not any of those tannins that I might... Then again, not all red wines have tannin either. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for example, Pinot Noir is not usually that tannic either. Um, yeah, uh, this is a, a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm um, enjoying it a lot. I, I really am feeling this with chicken of some sort, but, you know, alligator is supposed to be like chicken. Uh, or as one friend says, uh, chicken that's lived in an aquarium for too long. Ouch. Pretty much, yeah. Good if chicken actually. could swim... It would taste like alligator. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. 
that was that was pretty good. Uh, wine making in Louisiana dates back to the mid 18th century when Jesuit priests made wine in that state. And then, among other winemaking endeavors, was an orange wine industry, not skin contact whites, actual oranges made into wine. With flourished for a time and going to butcher this. I'm sorry, Louisiana natives. Placomenes Parish. Uh, the last of these wineries, Les Orangiers Louisianais, in Port Sulphur, closed three years before the native wine law passed in 1990. It was owned by the Gottbrath family, who drove them out of business. Was a freeze uh, that wiped out the orange groves, the end of an exemption from a $1,000 state licensing fee, and the imposition of a law barring producers from selling their wines at the wholesale and retail levels. Ouch. So that was a, a triple whammy there. I'd go out of business, too, if all that happened. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Leroy Harvey and Rupert Thompson were kind of the two founding members of Feliciana Cellars, which is not this winery. you got to trust a guy named Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> Leroy Chickens! Let's do this! Um, Leroy! Uh, they were instrumental in the passage of the 1990 Native Wine Act, which, again, made it possible to sell wine at retail on off-license premises. So the first winery to be licensed was Casa de Sioux Winery and Vineyards in Clinton, and that winery specialized in muscadine and blueberry wines. Feliciana Cellars was second. There's also uh, this vineyard, Landry Vineyards, which I guess was winery number three. There are four wineries in Louisiana. And uh, there are actually a, 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 there is a hybrid grape uh, that is pretty common in Louisiana that we will meet in uh, either season two or season three of the Make America Grape Again podcast uh, called Blanc du Bois. I can hardly contain my excitement. I, I can feel it. It's palpable. Just so much excitement. It's just dripping. The landscape is just dripping with excitement. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, I guess Landry was number four uh, because Pontchartrain opened in 1994. And they experimented with French hybrids but then later concentrated on Blanc de Bois and Norton. I guess Blanc de, Blanc de Bois is a... Bunch grape, whatever that means. I'm looking at Gary. So I've had a little bit more than I'm used to at the moment, and just trying to make sure I'm getting my facts straight before I answer that. If I'm remembering correctly, bunch grapes are like vinifera style, where the grapes occur in clusters, and muscadines, the grapes occur individually. Well, they're kind of, sort of, in clusters, like two and three, but they're very loosely spaced. Oh. So if I remember correctly, that's what a bunch of grape means. It's got clusters of grapes. So, yeah, there are four commercial wineries in Louisiana. One of the problems with growing in Louisiana, and we're going to see this in other deep south states, as we explore them later, is that there's a lot of pests that are problems. Pierce disease, powdery mildew, and various other grapevine diseases, which just wreak havoc on vinifera. That's why I was able to do a master's degree on just one of those diseases in the Deep South. Yeah, and that's what got you out here. Indeed. In Arizona, and what led us to, to meet. We're happy. We're happy you're here. Indeed. I'm happy I'm here, too. It is possible that this wine may not be entirely 
Louisiana grown grapes because it does say uh, for sale in Louisiana only. But we talked about that in the Texas episode that sometimes it means that uh, you're mixing in grapes that are local and not local. So from my understanding, when you say something is for sale in a state only, that just means you're going for an exemption with your labeling laws. Yeah. Again, we, we talked about that in uh, in the Texas episode, which you were not there for. I was going to say, I don't think I was there for that one and slash or I haven't listened to that one yet. That's okay. Uh, no, that was one I did with uh, Megan from DA. Gotcha. Who was also a CSW who, as she likes to remind me constantly, got three points more than me. <laughs> Ow. There you used to it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what other thoughts do we have on this wine, guys? Mm. Not something I would buy. Okay, why? To me, it, it's not... Yes, it is a wine. It is not a wine that I personally would find appealing having in significant quantities. A glass, and, and I'm about done with it, it... Uh, it, it's it's kind of dominating my palate. There's a lot of residual sugars and, and aftertaste with the cinnamon and the spice. It, it just doesn't and appeal to me. Nice. And everything not so nice. And it just Absolutely doesn't appeal to me as, as a wine. <laughs> yeah, not so nice. That's true. At least when Lisa's concerned. So, hey I would be the dissenting opinion on that. Like, okay. I'm really enjoying this. Oh, yeah. But then again, I... Grew up in the Deep South. I did all of my education in the Deep South. Is Florida the Deep South? And I yes, miss it is. the Deep South. And yes, Florida is absolutely the Deep South. It's Not the only deepest is, freaking South. Because it is get, America's baby. penis. And how much more South <laughs> can you get? No, Maine is America's penis. So what is Florida? Florida is America's Flaccid. wrinkled, disgusting nutsack. <laughs> <laughs> So did I. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. But yeah, well, the coasts of Florida are kind of like the coasts of anywhere else. They're just coastal towns. But once you get inland. about 15 miles inland of the coast, you are in the deepest of the deep south. Absolutely. Agreed. And I grew up there. I have a lot of family still there. I did half of my education there. I did the other half in North Carolina. And this reminds me of that. Lisa, what do you think? What, what, what do you mean, what do I think? What do you think about this wine? I already said. I said what I thought it tasted like. Isn't mm, that what I that's, that's different than what you think. I, I mean, what I you taste is not what you... Well, I mean, ooh, now we've gotten philosophical. Oh. Right? Uh-oh. I mean, it's okay. Let's get philosophical. I like its bottle because it's blue and I kind of want the bottle to put in my bottle wall later. I will be sure to save this for you. Uh, this is probably a bottle that will go back with me. I don't know why they me. put it in a blue bottle, but I like it. It's pretty. I know. The cobalt blue bottle is fun. It's interesting. It's something that would definitely catch your eye when you're sitting on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, I got this from the website because I'm like, do you ship to Arizona? Yes. What's your minimum? Oh, three bottles? Okay. This is done. That's, that's why all the, the bottles that I had for this podcast are coming from Landry. Um, for uh, the Louisiana episodes. Uh, I'm sorry to the other th- two, three 
vineyards in, in Louisiana. But um, you don't ship, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, I you know the chances of me going through the deep south are are limited. And uh, on that note, uh, if you live in a state in the deep south or one of another states, and you work in the wine industry or you live next to a winery. Um, shoot me an email because uh, I would like to uh, get some states that are harder for me to get to here in Arizona, uh, like Ohio or North Dakota or oh. Ohio, especially Ohio. <laughs> my my dream wine for Ohio is a sparkling Catawba because that was a wine that made Ohio famous in the 1800s, but uh, Ohio doesn't ship. Uh, but this winery somehow manages to ship to Arizona, so that's why we're drinking it. So on that note, cheers. Lake America Grape again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at the AZ Wine Monk, or on Twitter at CV Burkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. I'm Gary. You can find me on Instagram at greater than wines, on Facebook at facebook.com slash greater than wines, and by email at greater than wines at gmail.com.